We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back. Welcome in to another BuzzBeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at BuzzBeatPod. Give us a rating and review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. This is Richie, and I'm joined by Lee and Brian for another episode. On today's episode, we wanted to make sure we put a bow on the 21-22 season before moving on to some off-season talk and topics. So we're going to hand out report card grades to the top nine minute getters on the Charlotte Hornets roster. You're going to receive part one today, and then part two will come on Tuesday, April 26th. Lee, what's going on? How's everything going? You know, I am feeling a little better than I was um, after, you know, directly after the playing game. Obviously, like, there's there's always a lot of emotion when the season ends, particularly when it ends in a really disappointing fashion for the second year in a row. But like actually preparing for this episode was really nice because you're kind of forced to take a higher level view and you're forced to like evaluate the uh, the entirety of the season rather than just kind of like react to your uh, immediate emotions uh, of of the disappointment. And like I'm not excusing, you know, the performance in the plan and I'm not trying to minimize the fact that like it it does seem to be a problem that the Hornets were incapable of like being competitive for two years in a row in two of the most important like games in uh, at least, uh, you know, this iteration of Hornets history. Uh, and I'll stop rambling here, but like, I'm just saying that, that going back and looking at it from a player by player standpoint and kind of like reflecting on where this team has come post Kemba, you know, like it's it's hard to it's it's easy to forget that this team was 33 and 39 last year and mm-hmm. was four games above 500 this year, had a positive net rating for the first time in five or six years. And although the defense is still a massive work in progress, uh, made some meaningful strides there, at least from a net rating and like advanced statistical standpoint. So. Uh, you you got a little more than you bargained for in asking me how I'm doing there, Richie, but that's what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, I would agree with everything you just said in terms of taking a step back and looking at the season as the whole, because if we had recorded this the night of or the morning after, I don't think our grades would be as <laughs> generous or maybe as reflective of how these players played from game one to game 82. So, Brian, how's everything going in your life? Yeah, things are good, and uh, I, this is a, an audio medium, so people can't see this, but but Lee is going with the sunglasses indoor look. Uh, he looks like Jason Tatum at a, at a post-game <laughs> press conference right now. So, yeah, I think he's got to do pretty well. Coming in. <laughs> it, would be, it would be funny if you were wearing sunglasses inside and were like, yeah, I'm feeling pretty lethargic right now. Just like not really, not really in a good mood. Uh, if you're wearing sunglasses indoors, something's going right in in your life. So no, I'm doing well. I'm excited to get into this. I think this is going to be a good exercise. We do this pretty much every year. Yeah. 
And uh, for, I don't know, I mean, five, six seasons now. So it's a good way to tie a bow on it and just sort of take a 30,000-foot view on, on where things are with the Hornets. I agree with both of you guys. It's like it's not as bleak as as maybe it felt after the play and loss or is the way that I think perhaps even some uh, in NBA Twitter or on the media are trying to portray it. Trust me, I understand that it's like it's not as far as like contracts and stuff go. It's not it's not perfect. Like they're not perfectly well situated. But you have to remember, they just finished the season with 43 wins, uh, the number six offense in the NBA that where everything runs through or almost everything runs through a 20 year old point guard. So like, that's pretty good. And as we're getting into some of these player grades, I think it is important to just say, like take a step back and think about the, the talent on this roster, top to bottom, how it compares to a handful of seasons ago, how much more athletic and sort of like fit for the modern basketball, the modern NBA this team looks like. That's something that has struck me a lot the last two seasons. Like it's not a perfect roster, but you can just like you can see the you can see the vision, whether you agree with it or how it's been executed. You again, you can kind of see what they're going for in terms of like player dev and drafting and, and building it up around you know Lamelo specifically. So looking forward and ready to ready to get into this year. Yeah, let's go ahead and get into this. And so what we're doing is we're going to grade the Hornets players on their performance, more so in relation to their expectations on the whole. Like we're not going to grade them up against the rest of the NBA because that would be more bleak. And the way that I just arbitrarily sorted this was by first name. And if you played more than a thousand minutes, you will be talked about here on this podcast or on Tuesday's podcast. And so the first player up here is Cody Martin. And I think when starting with Cody Martin, it makes sense to mention his leap with his shot this season. And I think a big reason why he was he was able to develop a little bit more of an offensive game. I don't think anyone predicted that he'd be shooting 50% from behind the arc in that first like 25 to 30 games. Like that was that was a thing early on. And I think he was like the top three-point shooter if he had enough volume there. But that started to kind of level off. And I don't think anyone expected him to shoot 50%. But the fact that he shot 38% at a career high, 2.2 attempts per game, I think that says a lot about his game on the offensive end. And I think what I really enjoy most about his game on the offensive end was his ability to get to the rim. He was very aggressive, but also controlled as well. He has a way about him where he explodes off the floor and you kind of almost see him slow down a little bit as he gets to the hoop. And there's like some kind of calmness around him as, as he finishes. And I think getting off the floor quicker than your opponent is a skill. And I feel like he has a little bit of that in him defensively. We know that's where he makes like the most consistent impact. I know he at times may struggle to navigate screens or stuff like that. Like he's not that big in, in terms of fighting through screens, but he battles. And then off ball, he's he's constantly active. He's diving after loose balls. He's getting deflections. He's getting his hands in passing lanes. He had a team high 2.3 steal percentage. And just overall, a, a good defender on the team level. I'm going to hold off on my grade, and maybe this is probably what I'll do for every player until the end, but want to hear from you guys as to kind of what stood out the most from Martin's performances this season. Yeah, I mean, you got to start with a three-point shot, which really improved and then stabilized and settled into the high 30s this year. Look, salute to Cody Martin. Um, That was huge for him. I I think without that growth, I'm not sure where he'd be heading into this offseason. I think it, I think for the most part, it's sort of, I think save is too strong of a word, but it, it may have saved his NBA career because like without that, he was just so limited to what he can do. And now all of a sudden, again, when he can shoot like that there, it just opens up, makes him so much more playable and it opens up a lot, a lot of additional pathways for him. This is a guy that's 26. He's going to turn 27 before the start of next season. So like, the, the next contract is really like the one chance he's got to, to, to make some cash. And so again, hats off to him and 22% of his shots. Once again, a lot of ball, like a lot of his shots coming from the corner, 22% of his field goal attempts, corner threes shot 39% on corner threes this season. That's up from 20% as a rookie and 26% 
uh, uh, last season, 1.08 points per possession on spot-ups, 57% effective shooting on spot-up, no dribble jumpers. Um, and yeah, this was the big swing piece for Cody. It looks like he's here. Uh, he can shoot and make plays out of the corner, cutting along the baseline, roaming down into the dunker spot, shot 69% on cuts this season. It's pretty good. And I think, again, you need the shot to be able to unlock all of this, but I think it allows him to be a bit of a connector uh, for Charlotte's half-court offense. Maybe not in the way of, like, uh, you know, PJ or something like that, who can really open things up with his ability to to shoot and to, to make plays and attack mismatches, but – he does a nice job cutting into space um, and then making the second pass uh, to, to an even more open teammate. So just like, while he's not a guy that's going to create a, a lot of advantages for you, he can help build, he can finish plays and he can help build that sort of advantage chain. If that's how you're thinking, he can get a little bit more advantage to the ball when he touches it because he can catch and go, he can shoot just enough and he can pass a little bit when he's attacking closeouts or really, I just think his ability to cut, catch and pass is, is pretty nice. And all of this allows him to stay on the court where you can get uh, some of his defensive impact. And, and Richie, like I agree with what you said about, you know, Cody's probably a little overtaxed as like, you know, some nights being their like top, you know, perimeter defender. Um, what he does best on defense are the hustle plays, the winning plays, deflections, charges, uh, the the off ball rotations, activity at the top of Charlotte's zone, and certainly the turn the the transition creation, which is something that is like this Charlotte team the last two years. I mean, it's been like to a fault at times, but. They, they have to create turnovers, right? Like they, they just that's how they that's how they survive because they don't have the stoppers and the rebounders to just sort of like man up and grind out possessions that way. Um, Two point three percent steal rate this season. That's basically where he's been his entire career. He's good enough at the point of attack. Good enough in screen navigation. Again, not a stopper by any stretch, and he certainly has his limitations on. I think twitchier creators. And, and bigger wing initiators, a la Jason Tatum. So, again, I think he's a little overtaxed um, in terms of what Charlotte needs from him some nights. But the team defense is solid. He does enough as, like, a fourth or a fifth option offensively that, to me, he's playable in, like, a postseason setting. Like, Cody, Cody Martin could be on the court in, in, in leverage minutes, you know, in important minutes in, in a game with, that has, like, you know, outcomes that, that matter. Um, so again, the shooting development was, was really big for him and, uh, I'll hold off similar to Richie. I can hold off on my grade or give it now with, with Cody, but yeah, Lee, any thoughts on, on Cody Martin in year three here? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, all I can really do is reiterate a couple of the points that y'all just like very nicely laid out. I think I w- another way to say some of the things y'all been saying is like, he in his third season, I mean, he had a career year in, in, in every single like meaningful statistic, like some particularly like the three point shooting minutes played points per game, field goal percentage, two point percent. I mean, these were all career highs uh, in a pretty meaningful way. And even if you dig a little deeper, like effective field goal percentage, true shooting percentage, like all meaningful, meaningful jumps for Cody Martin. So I don't think you were being too overdramatic, Brian, by saying that he essentially kind of like in, in a certain way saved his NBA career. I mean, this was a guy, I think this time last off season that you couldn't be uh, necessarily positive that he would become a, a, a multi-contract NBA player. And now that is certainly going to be the case. So he became a real NBA rotation wing uh, for Charlotte. This is another kind of feather in the cap of Charlotte's player development program. This is another feather in the cap of Mitch Kupchak's front office, finding a guy in the second round who um, is going to hit relative to expectations. No doubt about that. He had a plus one net rating on the year uh, when he's on the floor for the Charlotte Hornets. And obviously we're not talking about the off season this episode, but he is one of the more interesting mm-hmm. kind of uh, off season action items. I think for the Charlotte Hornets team, trying to trying to keep him um, in Charlotte and what that contract will be, what his value is in the open market and if they're able to retain him. So obviously I'm hopeful that that's the case because I do think he brings, he brings some qualities to this roster that are unique to him and obviously he was one of those guys off the bench this year where 
if if the starters had started slow or, or things just weren't really uh, vibing in the Hornets' direction, you 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 felt like Martin uh, sometimes offensively, which was a change from last season, but particularly with energy and defense, could kind of change the momentum of a, of a game and was and was a nice uh, a nice card that Borrego could play at certain times. So I'll just go ahead and kick off the grading. Okay. I'm just going to give him a. I'm just going to give him a solid B. I, I just think he he was he was above average to expectations, and he made meaningful improvements, and he uh, essentially secured his spot at least for the time being uh, for another couple years in the in the NBA. Yeah, I'll, I'll um, similarly. I've got a, a B minus for Cody, and really for the same reasons that I laid out, that Lee laid out, that Richie laid out. Yeah, just the fact that he was able to extend his career via his own player development is big. I love seeing that stuff. Excited to see him either next season in Charlotte or perhaps somewhere else. But yeah, B minus for Cody Martin. We're all going to be in the B range, but I'm actually going to be the generous one and give him a B plus. I think I just was surprised by his three-point shot this year more than anything. I think he exceeded my expectations. Did not think that would develop at that type of rate. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's move on to Gordon Hayward. Uh, This is a hard one because of how many games he did miss, but obviously we've got to factor that into our equation. He played in just like 60% of the games this season, and that just isn't enough for someone that's getting paid that much. That aside, I do think overall when he was playing, he was a consistent contributor, especially earlier in the season. I think if you had to point to two players in those first 15 to 20 games, I think it was he and Bridges that were helping this team out a lot. And as always, he's going to make that impact on all three levels of the court. And I still contend that he's Charlotte's most well-rounded scorer on all levels. I think the good thing about Gordon, if he can stay healthy, his game does age well. He's learned how to play without elite athleticism. And I'm sure like this most recent injury that he has will only add to that like old man game that he's developing because he is one of the older players on this roster. He's going to continue to be a threat from a catch and shoot three point shooter. And also in the half court, he's got some shot creation as well. And we saw more of that this season defensively. He's not going to blow you away, but he's average. He's adequate. And I think if you're going to go off of recency bias, 
you can make the case that his grade comes out to like a low C or a D. But I think as we were talking about at the top of the podcast, like when you take a step back and look at it at a whole, maybe that grade comes up a little bit. And once again, I'll, I'll refrain from handing out my grade on on Hayward until the end. But I thought I thought he was worse than last season. I'll say that. I thought he was worse than last season just on the whole. And maybe it's because he didn't play as many games as relation to the 82-game schedule. But overall, like on the whole, he's still passable. And I think he's overlooked by a lot of Hornets fans and people that cover this team. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right to, to think that he was – uh, even before the injury, right. solid and helpful and, and very useful for Charlotte as like the, the half-court stabilizer, which is the term we always love throwing around on this pod. Um, but yeah, he did. You know, there was some obvious regression for him offensively. Um, that said, still a good score from every level of the half-court. Um, 60% shooting at the rim. Obviously, not a big rim pressure guy. And even this season it just felt like he picked up a a fair amount of offensive fouls, just like trying to create separation, you know, pushing off one-on-one and I don't know, maybe a a player of slightly bigger stature would get those calls. I just feel like he got a ton of offensive foul calls Um, again, trying to like turn the corner or, you know, shoot a step back or whatever, but 42% shooting from the mid range gets that done in so many different ways, right? The pull-up game, Charlotte loves running, uh, chin pick and roll with him, the post-ups for smaller covers. And that's obviously a nice tool to have in the two-man game with LaMelo, of course, when Gordon Hayward is able to play. 39% shooting on threes. None of those numbers are going to set the world on fire, but it's solid. And, and because he can pass from all of those levels, I think it sort of like amplifies the shooting aspect. Um, the true shooting and effective shooting numbers remain flat from a year ago. But Hayward had fewer attempts at the rim and from the mid-range per 75 possessions. So this season, four field goal attempts at the rim per 75, down from four and a half last year. Five field goal attempts at the rim, or five mid-range field goal attempts per 75 possessions. That's down from six and a half last season. So pretty big decline. And no real surprise that Hayward's overall usage dropped from 23.5% to 20.5% this season. LaMelo. Miles. Uh, Miles Bridges taking on a larger share of the offense. Hayward's assist rate dropped a little bit too. Uh, 16% assist rate this year, which is his lowest, or pardon me, yeah, his lowest since his third season in the league with Utah. Uh, 14 assists per 75 possessions. Again, uh, lowest of his career since year three with the uh, with the Jazz. I don't think Hayward like regressed necessarily as a passer. I think he's still a, a uh, a pretty good passer with his size and his feel um, just let fewer opportunities to do so basically. So that said, like it's, I think it's impossible to separate him from the contract and the injuries, obviously. However, in terms of like on court basketball production, he's still pretty good and he's still a pretty good fit with this team. And I do think, you know, without Hayward, Charlotte was able to run more of the offense through PJ through Miles Bridges with those inverted pick and rolls, that's encouraging. But um, but I think, you know, probably when he was off the floor, probably gave them, you know, maybe just there was just a little too much, like, pure spread pick and roll or empty side corner uh, pick and roll with LaMelo and not enough of a blend. Like, you need Hayward for the blend. And um, I think without Hayward, then there becomes a lot of reliance on someone like Terry Rozier to create that blend. And – you know, Razier shot the hell out of the ball this season, but I think it also cost them in some big games, including the, the play-in game um, against Atlanta. Yeah, um, so just a couple points to add here. You know, unfortunately, I, I wish this wasn't the case, but I think this, if we're honest with ourselves, like this season for Gordon Hayward kind of played out almost exactly like we would expect. I think we were all very hopeful that he would be able to make it through a season um, generally unscathed. I mean, it's 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 not realistic to expect oh, at this point almost any player to make it completely through a season uh, 100% healthy. But what's frustrating, I think, is that I, I believe it was like 38 games in or maybe even 40 games in, Hayward had actually played the most games on the roster. Like there was a point 
significantly deep into the mm-hmm. season mm-hmm. where, and I think I even mentioned it on the pod and I shot probably should have been doing some sort of rain dance when I did, but like, you know, 38, 40 games in, it was like, Oh my gosh, Gordon Hayward has played the most games of anyone on the roster. Is this the year? Is he, is he finally kind of gotten past, you know, this, this bugaboo uh, that is, that has been just a thorn in his side over the past, basically half decade. Do you think it would be different if he played 50 games, but they were more spread out? Does the fact that he missed like the last 20 games of the 25, 30 games that we, you know, whatever it was like, does that feel different to you? You see what I'm saying? For sure. I mean, I, yeah, I think if Gordon Hayward's back for the last like two, three weeks of the season and plays in the play in, I think that there's like a very different attitude and vibe. I, I think it's also something that I said on the I think it was the second to last pod where it's like this is his reality now. Uh, the, the sample size is big enough to where you you can't you hope for the best, but you can't really expect anything other than this at this point for Gordon Hayward. Uh, Brian did a really good job of laying out like some of the advanced statistics that have taken a little bit of a dive. And that comes with with age and player like I think maybe the only one that you may or may not have mentioned that I was going to mention was free throw rate. His free throw rate was down a little bit, too, which is always a little yeah. bit of a, a tell in players athleticism and burst and explosiveness when they're getting older. But Richie, you also made a really good point that Gordon Hayward is not particularly reliant on explosiveness. So like, I do agree that I like theoretically his game should age pretty well into his mid thirties. The, the point I was making was like, yes, you would hope that they could spread his, his games out, his load out to make this more bearable for him over a, over an 82 game season so that he could play the last month of the season and hopefully play-ins and playoffs if this team can go where they think we that they can go. But again, there's trade-offs with that. And the trade-offs are like rotational chemistry and rhythm and, you know, all, all the all the types of things that go along with being an everyday player uh, on an NBA team. So it's it's a tough dilemma. I don't I don't have the answer. Um, I do think they're gonna have to try some of that stuff next year. And then the only other thing is I do think he still is kind of like generally underrated um, by the Hornets kind of Hornets Twitter hive mind. Mm -hmm. I get the frustrations. I understand why he takes the flack he does, but just purely as a basketball player, Brian made the point that like he is a good fit with this roster, but at the end of the day with the injuries, with the way this season played out almost identically to last season, it's it's like exactly what I expected. So it's just like yeah. a C for me. It's just like this is Gordon Hayward. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things. It's like I, Richie, because I, I had the same thought as Lee was talking. It's like should there have been some type of plan from Charlotte, right? Some sort of like load management system in place to say like, all right, here's what you're, here's how we're going to try to manage this as much as you can manage something like injuries, like. Injuries are going to happen when you play basketball. Like there's contact, guys are moving quickly, stuff happens. Um, there's some bad luck that can be involved as well. But just like it's just like by nature of playing this game, there there are going to be injuries. And so like you know, Charlotte was gunning for the playoffs this year. You know, right? It's like why they didn't play the young guys all that much. And that's something we'll probably have to talk about more going into the off season. But you know, so I'm not surprised that they were going to just say like, "Hey, let's just like aggressively play Hayward," and like it kind of, that kind of makes sense to me too. If you're if you're looking at this like, this could happen at any point in time as long as he's upright, like and he wants to play, we're playing him. You know, so I, I don't know, but yeah, I agree. Like it does, he missed just such a a big chunk of time, and that was also part of time where the Hornets were just in a complete free fall. And that's not entirely on the absence of Hayward, but that was certainly like part of it. So um, I went with a C minus for Gordon Hayward. Uh, I flirted with making this a D of some kind just because of the contract, but mostly I'm just going to go with a a C minus here and and live with it. This is so funny. I'm also going to live in the C range, but I'm going to go C plus. (laughs) <laughs> very similar to our Martin grades. I was the B plus and the C plus Brian yeah. was the B minus and the C minus and Lee just went right down the middle. So, all right. The next player on the list is Jalen McDaniels and Lee. I'm going to let you lead this one off. Yes. Okay. So Jalen McDaniels, 
I think Jalen McDaniels was awesome this year. You know, he he obviously had uh, injury issues like a lot of this roster did. Um, McDaniels played 55 games. And, of course, it's like he's still in a limited role. I mean, you know, the, his, the ebb and flow of him in the rotation uh, was was pretty volatile this year. You know, early in the year, he really wasn't in the rotation. Then he was kind of able to work himself into it. Sometimes injuries either benefited him or were a negative against him from being in, in and out of the rotation. But when you just kind of like drill out on his player development arc, I think it's actually very encouraging as well. Again, another second round pick from Mitch Kupchak that has been able to make impacts. I don't think he is quite to the point where Cody Martin is, where you can like for a hundred percent say that he is definitely a mainstay. He's going to be a multi-contract player. I don't think he's quite there yet, but I think he's getting really close. Obviously we've kind of um, talked very positively about his defensive effect. I mean, he shot 48, 38, 73 on traditional splits this year which is were career highs for him, particularly at volume. And he was a plus six net rating when he was on the floor. He is probably, without looking too hard, yeah, I would imagine he obviously was the least amount of minutes of all the players that we are going to evaluate here. So you do have to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. But just because of like expectations for second round picks, what he has become – the efficiency in which he's improving at and the unique defensive traits that he brings that I think YouTube, Brian and Richie have particularly done a good job of highlighting on this podcast. I gave, I'm just going to go ahead and give my grade. Now I gave him a B plus relative to expectations. Like it was, it could have easily happened this year where Jalen McDaniels was never able to break into the rotation like that. That was on the table prior to the year, in my opinion, And it looks like it's trending in the exact opposite direction where I imagine because of his kind of unique physical traits and because of his like current arc that he would be in the like long-term future plans for this, for this organization. I, uh, it's unfortunate that some of his time out with injury just overlapped with, Hey, with, when Gordon was out. That hurt you know, them a lot. That hurt them a lot. Lee, you mentioned some of his importance uh, in terms of like the net rating. Charlotte was just better with, again, you got to take these with a grain of salt. It's only played like, you know, what, 900 minutes this year, give or take. You know, like they were better on both sides of the court and considerably better with him on defense when he was on the court. You know what he can give to you at the point of attack? Like not super strong, but because of his length, I mean, 6'10", that can get down in a stance and slide, guard a bunch of position types, pretty good there. What he does for you from a, a versatility standpoint, because he can switch across and guard a bunch of positions. He can scram switch, you know, behind the play, kick guys out if you're trying to get Terry or Lamelo or Isaiah Thomas out of a matchup, and he can get in there. The help side, like weak side rim protection that we've talked about with him, that's something he provides and just like a sneaky, like chase down block guy too. He and Cody Martin, like really no surprise, but those were two guys that would, you know, it felt like every couple of games, one of those guys would get one. I just would have liked to have seen more of him this season, even before the injury. I think this is, I, I'm pretty sure this is like, I can think of a pod that I did with at least Spencer and, and maybe, maybe, you know, both of you guys or one of you guys in the middle of the season, but it was sort of like, all right, like, can we start to see this before the injury? But it was like, all right, can we start to see him a little bit more? Like the defense isn't very good. Like he's the piece you probably got to get on the court more to open that up. Yeah. I mean, I maintain my belief that if they had made the post season, he would have had to have been a bigger part of the picture, right? Like you just, it would have been like, okay, whatever minutes you're giving to Kelly, I know this wouldn't have worked, but I've been just like, give them to Jalen. You know, like, like it's like, this guy is just infinitely more playable um, the new brain, unless Ubre is just like magma hot from beyond the arc. So, um, and then also like just the, some of those other stuff he does in transition, the grab and go finishing. And then I think his offensive game has been, is, you know, Lee, you brought up Cody Martin, I think very similar. And then I think like, I don't think that's like at all by accident. Like I'm willing to bet those two guys in the same development system, you know, were sort of like instructed uh, to go a certain way, right? The sort of like the three and D low usage wing, 
Um, he works the corner. He works the slot, cuts along the baseline. You know, you'd maybe like to see him shoot a, a little bit better and with a little more fluidity from deep. Not quite there yet, but um, but he's a real piece. And I, I'll say this too. We can talk about this more going into the offseason, but like I was wrong. I thought McDaniels was a restricted free agent. This this offseason, so forgive me, like forgive me. That's something I think I've said on the pod a couple of times now. Um, he has a club option for next year at one point nine million, and like, yeah, I mean, it seems like a certainty that gets picked up. I think the the date is by August first yep. when it becomes yep. fully guaranteed. Hang it up. Um, yeah, Hang it up. yeah. I mean, you can't. You're, he's going to outperform that number if he's healthy next season. He outperforms that number. You know what I mean? So, and and again, he's a guy that you can play with. So many different lineup combinations, including that that front court of PJ and Miles. You can go small with those guys, or you know uh, McDaniel's and Bridges and Thor, or you know however you want to split it up. So I like him. I think he's a guy that can be a player. He's still just twenty four, so he's two years younger than Cody Martin. Um, so probably something to consider as well. So I went with a B for Jalen McDaniel's. All right, I don't have much to add from your thoughts there, Brian and Lee. I did think he made some improvements basically all over the court. I actually came away more confident of his offensive game maybe than in years past. He's always going to be that low usage guy that you kind of just stash on the wing and make make him be a, you know, a slasher, a weak side cutter, et cetera. He's also going to get points through offensive rebounds. He's still not a player that you can put the ball in his hands too often, but just from my eye test, I thought he did a better job maybe like as a straight line driver and maybe – as a guy that can kind of weave in and out of players through transition. I do not have the numbers in front of me, but I thought he did very well in transition this season. It was interesting that ankle injury that he had, like it really affected his rhythm when he came back. It was hard for him to kind of find that groove after that. He kind of picked it up towards like the last few games, but it's almost like that first ever ankle sprain that he ever had. He just didn't know how to handle it. I think that kind of factors in a little bit to my grade, but on defense, like you guys talked about, he's got the length to affect shots and recover and all that type of stuff. I think him and Cody Martin are neck and neck for the best defensive player on the Hornets roster. Not like there's much competition, but uh, those two players are the two that I think about when I think about the defensive side of the court. So I, like Brian, will give him a, a B. And like Brian said, just to keep an eye on that August 1 date when his contract becomes fully guaranteed. All right, after... McDaniels by first name alphabetically is Kelly Oubre and Brian I'm gonna have you lead this one off on Kelly Oubre sounds good everyone's favorite everyone's favorite player on the Hornets this season <laughs> uh Kelly big Oubre. the big the big Ubi. yeah um look it was an, it was sort of a it felt like a bit of a flyer when they used their remaining cap space to sign him Late in the 2021 offseason, two years, $24, $25 million with at least a, a good chunk of that second year not guaranteed. You know, we'll see the offseason what this guy could possibly be as a trade ship, but super streaky shooter. Like, if not the streakiest shooter in the league, then, then one of them got off to a good start. Um, I looked this up. I tweeted something out on December 6th. So this is only, you know, two months into the season, but. He was bombing threes, 39% from deep at that point in time, over 12 three-point attempts per 100 possessions. At that point in time, again, December 6th, 1.31 points per spot-up possession, uh, 66% effective shooting at the time. That was number two among all NBA players with 100-plus possessions. So that obviously predictably leveled out. He finished with 55% effective shooting on spot-ups. 1.07 points per possession. And for whatever it's worth, like I think the shooting like where Kelly finished the year is mostly fine. Like I get the streakiness that doesn't bother me so much. Like again, if if ultimately like at the end of the full season, it comes out to be in a pretty positive number, then I don't know. You got to kind of live with that, especially because there was a lot of volume and you could do some stuff with this shooting. Like, Outside of Rozier, he's probably the one other guy they ran like movement shooting sets for. You know, maybe Lamelo every now and then, but for the most part, like it, you know, Ubre was probably the second guy after Rozier in that regard. However, uh, there's just nothing else to really go along with it. Mm-hmm. Like he was, and he was a nightmare on defense. So not a ball mover on offense. Doesn't really get north south in the half court unless it's like catch and go straight line to the rim. Like the defense has been bent. And there's a clear lane for me to get in. And, and again, he's he's a hell of an athlete. He's long. So, like, 
you know, he can finish above the rim, but just like him getting from 20 feet out to the rim, I don't know. Like there's just a lot of stuff has to be set up for him to do that. It's not like he's a guy that can like run competently run pick and roll or like get into tight windows and, and, and again, get all the way to the rim. Sometimes they ran like Chicago action for him out of the corner. He was okay with that, but I don't know. Most times he wants to get to his jumper off of that. So he doesn't create advantage, nor does he help like build advantage either. So like he just is a pure catch and finish player, um, which is like, I, I think on some teams that can be okay, but the Hornets who want to have the ball fly around, right? They want to get it side to side and handoff into a Rozier ghost screen into a Bridges inverted pick and roll. And like, then Kelly would catch the ball and then the possession just, you know, screeches to a halt. So I think like he, he did damage to the flow offensively um, because they need that, that pitch and the, the go and the movement and the quick decision-making to really build off of that. Um, and I just don't think that's something that Ubre does that well. Defensively, certainly good for a couple, like, head-scratching possessions, you know, either once a game or once every other game or or whatever. So, yeah, not a great season for Ubre uh, after, I think, a somewhat encouraging start. Definitely had some moments. Mm-hmm. Probably helped Charlotte win a game or two, like the game in Memphis stands out where he scored a, he set a franchise record for points off the bench, breaking uh, Malik Monk's old record. But um, yeah, he just, he needed, he just, if if the three wasn't going that night, you weren't really getting much else from him. Um, And yeah, I mean, really like, you know, assist numbers are only like, they only tell part of the story with how someone is as a pastor, but like, you know, 6% assist rate this season, which is basically where he's been all, all year. So like, again, you're just not getting, the the ball movement and the playmaking from Uber that you would maybe like like it's all catch and finish and and I just don't think the defense is good enough to sort of like uh, allow that to to stand for what it what it can actually be, do for a team. It's funny Lee always used to say that uh, Kelly Uber's season was like a roller coaster ups and downs. I, I feel like because of his nickname Tsunami Poppy, we should probably say it's more like a wave. Right. Yeah. 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 Except, yeah. Except he kind of got caught on that bottom part of the wave towards the end of the season. He never went back up. Maybe I had the wrong expectations going into it, Lee, but I thought there was some potential on the defensive side of the court for him to be one of the better perimeter defenders on this team. And that just didn't happen. He had no resistance whatsoever. And outside of the occasional like pickpocket steals, I'm not sure what I can point to on that end that stood out. Uh, offensively, like Brian was noting, he'd win some games for Charlotte, but he'd also put the team in a hole when his shooting was very, very poor. And I did not trust him when he tried to put the ball on on the floor. I think he needed to be spotting up. He needed to be used as a cutter more often. I feel like we talked about that really, really early in the season as a, as a cutter. And he seems like a guy when things were going well, he played well or vice versa. When things weren't going well, his performance would also suffer. I looked this up in wins. He shot close to 41% on threes In losses. He shot close to 28%. That's a 13, 13 percentage. I'd wager (laughs) that that number is likely the greatest on the team. Like that swing there. Maybe one of our listeners, if you have time, may, maybe fact check me there. But yeah, so Kelly Oubre, I'm going to go ahead and give my my grade here, Lee, before I pass it to you. I'm going to say C minus for him. You know, it, it it is tough because I do not have like very positive feelings about Kelly Oubre coming out of the season, which I think is mostly fair. But I also don't think it's like completely fair to pin everything on him either. Mm-hmm. There was a time in the season probably – in the same time frame in which Brian, his tweet that he referenced where Kelly Oubre was having uh, a career year by every measurement. And there was a part of me that thought, well, maybe the fact that he's playing with playing an offense that really pops the ball around that shares the ball. He's playing with a, with a point guard in LaMelo that, that relishes getting uh, shooters open and effective positions. And, and maybe this is like the perfect spot for him and everything's flourishing for Ubre nine years into the league. And, and like you said, I kind of talked about like his volatility uh, that was tough to stomach at times. I think Brian said it really well. Like, if the shooting isn't there on any particular night, there just isn't much else for him to lean on to be 
any type of a positive uh, contributor. Uh, Agreed with you, Richie, in the fact that from a physical tool standpoint, it feels like he should be a better defender than he is, but he is just a, frankly, a very subpar uh, defensive player, which is why I think by the end of the season, a lot of us were, like Brian said earlier, like, man, just play McDaniels. Like, at least we know he's going to sit down and guard. And he may, McDaniels may not ever have a night where he hits seven or eight threes like Ubre will, but, you know, he's also not going to give up. Um, just like he's not going to be a matador defensively. I, 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 it's tough, uh, to, to dole out a, a really negative grade here, uh, but I am going to give him a D. He was kind of the only, player that we're going to evaluate in this uh, in these two podcasts that had you know that had a that had a negative net rating and you know when it boils down to it like this guy's played for six teams in nine years and there's probably a little bit of a reason for that so it, it like Brian said it was a flyer in the offseason his contract next year isn't isn't fully guaranteed and it's possible that he could be uh, in some type of uh, potential deal that the Hornets would make this offseason. I still think he has value for certain teams, particularly for the Hornets. I just I don't think it's a great fit. <laughs> yeah, agree that it's not a great fit and that there are rosters that Uber makes more sense on than, than what Charlotte's trying to do. Um, I went D plus for Kelly Oubre this season. Man, I thought I was going to be the harsh grader, but it looks like I'm the easy grader here. So let's move on to LaMelo Ball, and this is going to be the last player on part one of this series. He was awesome this season. You can almost start anywhere with this 20-year-old, but I actually want to start with his defense. What did you guys make of his defense this year? Because I thought his ability to play that like free safety role, come off of his man on the weak side, or even sometimes one pass away and make a steal on the backside and take it the opposite direction. That was that was fun to watch. So we talk about his vision as a playmaker, but his vision of seeing plays develop on the other end was fun to watch too. So what did you guys make of that end of the court for him? Yeah, I mean, that exactly what you just highlighted is something that I was excited about LaBello pre-draft. But I think you sort of started to see it crystallize a little bit more this season, like the defensive playmaking. And certainly there were flashes of that his rookie season. But I think when I close my eyes and think of LaMelo, like positive moments with LaMelo on defense this year, I will think about when Charlotte would trap the pick and roll, you know, with Mason and, you know, Rozier Plumley guarding it. And teams are trying to get to that four on three. They're trying to throw the ball to that outlet, the guy in the middle. LaMelo's ability to, to fly in from different angles to intercept that pass and immediately kick into transition. Um, Really impressive. And he's like, I know he gambles at that. He probably gets beat on it. I don't know what, like how the ratio breaks down perfectly, but like really impressive in in my opinion with what he was able to to do on some of those looks that just gets back to his incredible feel for the game and certainly his length and his speed. Yeah. Again, I thought the defensive playmaking uh, pop this season for him in terms of like off ball stuff. Yeah, I I would agree with that as well. I mean, I've been kind of, um, beating the drum, uh, you know, even from like early in his rookie season now about how, uh, you know, the same like genius instincts that he has from a vision standpoint also allows him uh, to be kind of that, like you said, free safety, defensive anticipation. Like it's the same quality that allows him to throw these incredible full court passes, no look passes and know where everyone is. It's the same quality that allows him to, uh, shoot in passing lane because he saw something happen, you know, two, two clicks before it actually happens. Um, he's just a basketball savant from an anticipa- anticipation ba- uh, standpoint on both ends of the floor. You know, that, that is probably his most, uh, along with his size, obviously, that kind of accentuates the, all of that and his length. Um, that is his most unique quality about LaMelo ball. Um, He's still obviously incredibly young. Um, I do think he's still as great as he can be off the ball. I do think he still uh, falls asleep at times. Mm -hmm. Um, Miscommunicates. Uh, He he doesn't switch a screen when he should, you know, he, he runs out on a, on a shooter when he should be staying back and, and like tagging stuff like that. Uh, But you know, he's a young point guard, that stuff you have to work out, but some every now and then, 
I think generally it's a lack of focus and lack of maturity, which is something that will be uh, very fixable as he matures. Every now and then, though, I do think it is a lack of effort, and that is something he's going to have to continue to make sure that he's, like, focused on. So, yeah, that that from a defensive standpoint, I mean, I mean, you look at the guy's numbers this year, you know, 20 points per game, six and a half assists, seven and a half rebounds, you know, two to one assist to turnover ratio, leads the team in steals, plus 2.1 net rating, 42, 38, 87 traditional splits. You, he's still a very poor rim finisher, which is a problem, mm-hmm. but uh, something I'm sure y'all hit on a little bit. And and then and then all the other like obvious stuff, you know. Um, I, I think the other point is that we've made a million times is like because there's no Devonte Graham and because there's no uh, Malik Monk, all of the chips were were in Lamelo Ball as the primary offensive caretaker and initiator and playmaker, uh, which is due to impart some of the struggles. Um, but look, I mean, this, as Brian said earlier, this is the sixth best offense in the NBA with LaMelo Ball completely driving the engine. That is incredibly impressive, incredibly encouraging. And then the only last little, like, some, like, a little bit of it, like, he was not good in the playing game. Um, and you you do hope that eventually he kind of, like, embraces and thrives in the big moments rather than shrinks in them. And I think that will come with time. I'm not like particularly concerned about that, but it is a little bit of something I think we need to watch. I think overall LaMelo made some meaningful strides this season, but we obviously like there's still a a ton of room for growth. Um, Just overall a ridiculous talent, super fun to watch. Um, Feels like there's so many different ways his career could go from here. And so many of them end up with him. They're they're just incredibly positive. Him winning a lot of games and creating a lot of highlights and selling a lot of jerseys and tickets. Yeah, it sort of is. It can be almost overwhelming to Richie's point about like where to start with him. But we'll just mention like some of the numbers because we talked about some of the pick and roll usage this season. Like I thought they leaned on it a little too much. Would have loved a little bit more uh, variety at times. A little bit more of a blend. Um, you got some of that with Bridges creating downhill and obviously the Hayward injury didn't help, but, uh, if you're going by synergies numbers, 36% of the possessions LaMelo used this season came as a pick and roll ball handler. That's up from 32 and a half as a rookie. Um, obviously no monk, no Devonte Graham. Those are big deals too. Efficiency stayed about the same, like just under 0.8 points per possession on tons of volume. I don't love Synergy's numbers for um, when a player passes out of the pick and roll and they, and they measure how many points per possession and shooting percentages, that type of stuff, um, when someone passes. Because I just don't think – they're, they're only capturing when the, when the pass goes out to the person who uses the possession, right? And so there's just – as someone that has also done, like, not at Synergy, but has done tracking and tacking uh, work like this, like, it's – it's like an imperfect science too, to be clear. Like I'd love to see the second spectrum numbers on this, um, which are probably aren't perfect either, but give you a little bit more clarity. But with all that said, big caveat, um, Charlotte's numbers when LaMelo passed the ball out of the pick and roll to someone who finished the possession were excellent this season. Uh, among the best in the NBA, uh, 1.26 points per possession, one, one and a half points per possession to cutters, 1.2 points per possession to spot up shooters, and 1.26 points per possession to guys either rolling to the basket or popping out. Um, P.J. Washington helps those numbers out a lot because he sizzled shooting out of the pick and pop this year. So um, usage went up, assist rate up. He was over 30% usage this season, according to cleaning the glasses numbers, which is just, wow, man, that's a lot. <laughs> so I would like to see him get the, – the rim finishing is like the next thing, you know, like – Obviously, the on-ball defense, we're going to have to – that's going to have to get better. But I'd rather just see him, like, amp up the rim finishing and get downhill more. There were too many times this season he couldn't get by guys. That you're like, why can't you drive by DeMarcus Cousins, you know? Like, why can't you get around slow wing defender X or the big guy that switched out to you? So, I think he's going to have to just get stronger – and I think he's also going to have to get uh, a little more, uh, a little more explosive too. Like he doesn't have to be Anthony Edwards, right? Where just like 
that first step and he's at the rim, but he's going to have to get better at getting around guys and getting downhill and, and having other ways to attack drop more consistently that aren't get to the runner, get to the floater. Like you do see him at times, he'll attack that pocket of space and he'll get, you know, you know, very comfortable laying the ball up with his left hand. And again, there are flashes of this to be clear. It's not like he, he's completely like can't do it or whatever, you know, more volume, more consistency, more ease. And that will just only open up further what he can do as a, as a passer, which he is obviously a, a, a really, truly like a special playmaker. So I think there are things he can do to improve. And I think there are ways that, and it might be tougher or hard to pull these levers, but there are ways to build the roster around him to sort of like better support LaMelo as he becomes like your, your primary creator. I still worry a little bit. Like, I'm not sure if he's like an apex type, you know, you know, I don't, I don't know if he's ever going to be on the same track as someone like Luka Doncic, you know what I mean? Who's like always a fun comparison for him or whatever. Um, Luka's just so big and strong. Um, so like, I just don't know if some of that stuff is in LaMelo's pathway, but who knows? Like the sky's the limit for him. And this was an awesome uh, second year in the league uh, capped off by him making um, an all-star roster. which is pretty cool too. Yeah. I think when you mentioned Luka, I think, maybe that's the type that most people see him as not necessarily like a one-to-one kind of facsimile there. But I think also too, when we talked about him, when he was drafted, we were wondering if he would be an off ball player, could he improve in that aspect? Or is he strictly a guy that is going to have the ball in his hands? And like you say, Brian run a ton of pick and rolls and he's a heliocentric point guard, or can he play off the ball a little bit? And I think within James Borrego's offense, it's probably predicated on all players, one through five, one through four, playing multiple positions, not having the ball in your hand at all times. And I do think that he, you know, just off of quick recall, I do think he improved as a pull-up shooter, but I also feel like he improved as an off-ball player. And, you know, it's not it's not something that you're going to run off floppy action or anything like that or fading to the corners for threes, but you did see him work the middle of the court often and relocating to above the break where he is most comfortable. I know that there are, you know, you guys talked a lot about LaMelo, so there's nothing more for me to add. I do know that there are people out there that would gush over LaMelo and probably give him an A-plus for this season. But I do think that we need to temper that a little bit. And there are some areas in which both Lee and Brian mentioned that he can improve on moving forward. I think fouls. I think you guys didn't really mention about this, but he needs to Great stay point. He needs to stay out of foul yeah. trouble. He picks up some fouls that are just really silly and have no effect on the play 75 feet from the basket. He also needs to draw fouls a little bit more, especially considering yes. you know his free throw. You know He's such a good free throw shooter. We'd like to see him go there a little bit more frequently. And then to Brian's point about the strength, it felt like JB placed him almost as like he wasn't necessarily guarding the point guard always. And I think that helped him like with the off ball, like free safety stuff. Definitely. But he was guarding a lot of secondary ball handlers. And I I think partially that's due to the fact that he needs to bulk up and navigate screens a little bit better and provide some resistance via the strength. But that will come with time. So. I cannot give the perfect score of an A+, plus, but I will give him an A for the season. That strategy would work better if they played like, you know, Jalen McDaniels more or if they, you know, the other starting guard wasn't Terry Rozier. It's like that strategy would be great if like Marcus Smart, you know, started at two guards for the Hornets or Drew Holiday or whatever. But yeah, I went with, um, I went with an A for LaMelo this season. Um, almost went to the A-, minus, but when you're factoring in, um, the age, yeah, uh, yeah. I went ahead and went with the uh, the A for Lamelo Ball this year. Yeah, I I went I went A minus. I mean, he's incredible. He is one of, if not, he is one of the top, you know, like under twenty four assets in the entire NBA. He is he has not yet affected winning. At like some of the other, like some of his other cohorts, who to be fair are a couple years older, um, your Lucas, your Trey Youngs, uh, your yeah. John Morants. Um, he he is not yet on that stratosphere. Just from a dragging his team to significant standpoint, but like I said, he's also a little bit younger. So I think year three is a huge year for Lamelo yeah. to kind of like solidify himself 
and this Hornets roster as a legitimate, not championship threat, I don't think quite yet, unless something, you know, unforeseen happens, but solidifying the Hornets as 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 a legitimate Eastern Conference, like first and second round playoff contender, that ha- I think that has to happen. And I think a lot of that does lay at his feet. Yeah, I think you're right, Richie. Like there would be a lot of people that probably would say A plus, and I see the merits there. I understand why they could get there, um, but I just want to temper a little bit. All right, we're going to go ahead and wrap here for part one of our report card episode. In about four or five days from now, you'll hear our grades on Plumley, Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, and Terry Rozier. For Brian, for Lee, I'm Richie. Have a good one.